was that was some tasty conversation. So we are we are drinking and I feel like I feel like we need we require beverages for this episode. You know what I mean? Because ideally it'll make it more interesting. <laughs> no, just <laughs> because we're looking back at something that like we really enjoyed as kids and uh, we're looking at it with fresh eyes and being uh, critical, shall we say. You know what's sad? You know what I what? just realized? R.L. Stein looked at these books with adult eyes. <laughs> like, we looked at them with kid eyes. But he looked at them with adult I eyes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Listeners, we're going to be talking R.L. Stein, specifically the Fear Street series. And we did not go back and read the whole series because there's 11 billion books in the Fear Street series. But... Um, I was super into horror at this time. Fear Street was my jam. And this was also around the time that I started writing. Like I started writing books. I started writing short stories. And Fear Street was like the prototype for all of those like short stories. And my, uh, my infamous novel titled The Edge, um, with the tagline, don't fall now on the cover. (laughs) It was written in an empty journal that I got from B. Dalton. So it was very professional. Shout out to B. Dalton. (laughs) Shout out to B. Dalton. Shout out to Walden Books. But more shout out to B. Dalton, which was the superior. Oh, yeah. I was a bougie bitch. I was like, I'm going to B. Dalton. Walden Books is beneath me. (laughs) It just sounds, it sounds like mahogany. It sounds like a leather backpack. Like, you know what I mean? It just has that. B. Dalton also had better lighting. It did have better lighting. Yeah, Walden Books was definitely like the lesser, the lesser of the two. But anyway, so over the years, you know, when you're a writer, like over the years, like you look at shit that you wrote years ago and you make fun of it and you think, ah, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. (laughs) And all of the things that I made fun of myself for and that we all collectively made fun of me for, for like my writing style back in those days, um, because listeners, my friends and I, we used to like have sleepovers where we were in college where we would get drunk and we would read excerpts from The Edge aloud because it is a ridiculous book that I wrote when I was 10. But all the things that we were making fun of, like stylistic choices and like all the writing choices, <laughs> going back and rereading a single Fear Street book made me realize Maybe I wasn't a bad writer. Maybe I was just really trying to emulate R.L. Stein stylistically in Fear Street. Because it's it's pretty, like, consistent <laughs> with the wait style minute, of Fear wait Street. Minute, wait a minute. You're avoiding the obvious conclusion, which is that R.L. Stein is a bad writer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was my, like, highly roundabout way of saying that because, like, I don't want to. It's like no disrespect to the man. You know, he has a master class. On masterclass.com. Oh, wow. And, you know, like, he was he was the world to me at that time. And he, like, probably single-handedly inspired me to write, which is, you know, I owe so much to him. But, like, goddamn. He has a masterclass God currently. Damn. Is it in, like, YA horror? I believe it is. Oh, wow. I believe it is. And he's, like, he's well, serving, like, knockoff Stephen King vibes. Like... <laughs> In the trailer for his master class. Oh my god, we have he's to go like, to this master class. How do I go to the master class? <laughs> okay. 
That he's not going to let us in after he hears this podcast because you know that Arl Stein is listening to our podcast. He's not. Yeah. I was just making a joke. But yeah, but in the event that he does, he's going to kick us out. But come on. He is. It's 2021. He has to be able to read what he wrote and see all of the issues. <laughs> like, are you freaking kidding me? I need him to not be that fragile. He, I, I, I was hoping, at least I'm optimistic about a master class because I was hoping he'd be able to be critical of his earlier work and maybe talk about some kind of like writing evolution he went through. You're like, no. Know, You're like, no. He's like, know, I'm man. a YA horror oh, genius. I am the Albert Einstein of YA horror. No. I mean, I will say like the, the books are deeply formulaic and like the style you know, it's it's pulpy, like it's stylistically, it's really simplistic. And so it's like accessible and like, you know, it's a quick, easy read, but like. Easy, breezy, beautiful, horrible. R.L. Stein. <laughs> that was so off key, guys. I'm sorry. So do we need to pull back momentarily and just talk about our, what was your relationship with R.L. Stein? I know you. I love this question. So I thought. <laughs> R.L. Stein was a basic ass writer. I was addicted. And you were correct. <laughs> I was addicted, but he was basic as hell. Now, I held up Christopher Pike as like the pulpy writer I preferred because like the Degrassi refrain, he went there. Like he would take it to like that extra level of like smut and like porny pornographic writing weren't there like abortions in his novels and whatnot like, yeah well they were like more mature themes like he was yeah and the and the horror was darker like it, it always um yes. got at like real like seemingly like existential or like often metaphysical like questions about our universe as a matter of fact i think i told you this before there's like usually like 30 pages towards the end that go like full out like like psychedelic trip on the reader and I never understood what the hell was in those pages. So I would just have to oftentimes like skip it. I'd be like, look, he's talking about that shit again. I don't understand. Like, whatever. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, he just had more mature themes. Oftentimes, yeah, just um, I'm sure if I were to reread them, I'd still find problematic representations of women, maybe even problematic mm-hmm. representations of men. But um, but the story, but the story writing was slightly more complex. The characters were always yeah more complex um and i was into that so i read arl stein probably through like early early middle school like maybe i stopped in like sixth grade and then full stop was into christopher pike like but i even feel like i stopped reading christopher pike by like freshman year of high school so we were young reading those oh, yeah, books like, we were like young yeah we weren't supposed to be reading this shit like supposedly like <laughs> Goosebumps was more like we were the target audience more for like Goosebumps when yeah. we were in fifth grade. But I was reading Fear Street, which was about like high school. Yeah, we were always reading like a grade span yeah. earlier. So we were reading R.L. Exactly. Stein. We never, I never read Goosebumps. So the times I did, I was like, this is why. Me neither. So I was reading R.L. Stein in elementary, Christopher Pike in middle school. But then by the time I got to high school, I was super into V.C. Andrew. Shout out to Christy Prince, one of our classmates from Huddy, who like introduced me to V.C. Andrews. And then I she read. did not. Seriously? Yes, she did. Yeah. She was like, Mia, you got to read this oh book. Oh, my God. Well, because we had a, we had a vocal teacher, Miss Manzi, who never taught us how to sing. Unlike Word. Sister Mary Clarence. You know, I wish we had had Sister Mary Clarence. But anyway, <laughs> so we would just sit in vocal class and talk shit. And Christy brought 
flowers in the attic you know seventh or eighth grade year and was like you gotta read this and then it changed my life that's um, so funny i remember christy Friends. it was con- yeah it was, sure do. it was over it was over kid i was a convert <laughs> Um, oh no, those books and those books were even darker. Yeah. Exactly. What was this quest for yes. darkness we had? Because it was like I, I was like, you know, bye, Christopher Pike. When I found our, our VC Andrews, because that was like intergenerational trauma. Gothic. It was, it was it, like it, gothic. It was gothic like, intergenerational, yeah. like star-crossed lovers, like sleeping, you know, realizing that they fell in love with their brother, like <laughs> twincest, twincest, as they call it. <laughs> yeah, or like. Two star-crossed lovers, like, three generations ago that were, like, split apart. Like, their progeny fall in love and then realize, like, mm-hmm. actually it's still their distant cousin because the, the ancestor had, like, a, you know, out-of-wedlock secret child with the person. And actually the person they fell in love with many generations later, they're still re- related to. They were just always reaching. I was always here for it. And... <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing though like that's like god that was our shit like just fetishizing dysfunction and like <laughs> oh yeah just loving that just loving it uh, yes um, and yeah. I, it, oh, go ahead. oh no just that like i realize now too like even in my television choices like being obsessed with general hospital like, i was just always looking for like high drama yeah media consumption yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I, mean, I, I speak only for myself, but the older I get, the less. And I like maybe I'm just like too fucking fragile, but like I just I just want to laugh. I just want to like shut my brain off most of the time, you know. And it's not that I don't enjoy high drama when I watch it. Like I enjoy the fuck out of it, but I'm not craving. I don't crave it in the same way because, you know, by this age, it's like you've experienced some shit. It's like. No, I kind of want to escape like all that when I when I watch things, you know, most of the time anyway. Yeah, no, I probably still have somewhat of an appetite for it when it's dramatized. But mm-hmm. I also used to have an obsession with like um like Rescue 911 as a kid. And as I an used ad- to watch that unsolved mysteries. Yeah. All that shit. And like yeah. as an adult, maybe it's on oxygen. There's a channel that plays like, you know women who engage in like crime of passion uh crime of passion snap, killings. not not snap snap yeah snapped. yeah yeah and i went through a period like yes. you know within the last decade where i was like obsessed with that and would watch it all the time and it, it hit that same that it hit that same you know cord inside or whatever yeah um, it hit the same nerve yeah um but yeah, Arl Stein, man. So we we went back and revisited a couple of the Fear Street books. Regrettably. Um, regrettably. And I have to say, like, I had a parallel experience to your experience. Like, you, your experience revisiting Ghost Rider was my experience revisiting Fear Street. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. To get through. I was like, this is horrendous. The storytelling is, like, abysmal. Everything is so fucking obvious. And takes for fucking ever to unfold. The dialogue is horrendous. <laughs> like, it was hard. It was hard to get through. Yes. And you had mentioned before I had even, like, dove into the book that you were like, get ready. It's, like, chauvinistic as fuck. In my imagination, this is taking place somewhere middle America. Like, as far east as, like, Pennsylvania. But could easily be, yes. like, 
Missouri, where I live now, or it doesn't give me Southern vibes at all. So it's definitely like no, Ohio, yeah. Illinois, Midwestern, Indiana. Like, yeah, I didn't see that. You know, I don't even, and we're not, I actually, I would, I would actually park it there because I don't think it even goes as far Northwest as like a Wyoming, Nebraska. Like I don't, that's not what's happening. Agreed. Um, just like an uninteresting version of the types of towns where like, um, what's that producer? What's that director's name? John Hughes. It's like, an, it's like, it's like taking place in like towns that are just somehow even more uninteresting than where those films, where, where those films took place. But, um, so of course, like he makes a big deal. Like there are like these mountain or like valley distance differences between like being a blonde and being a brunette and being a redhead. Oh my and each of those carries like so much like weight. Like oftentimes, like that is the only descriptor that we have yes. upon which to like make an entire assessment of a person's worthiness, beauty, right? Like intelligence, right. you know. Um, and then you see women and how they relate to each other in that world, and oh, it's so gross. Like, yeah, like oftentimes they're just they've just completely, um, you know, absorbed that that's the only way that they are fully seen. So that's how they see each other. Mm-hmm. Actually, brief thing, Euphoria just released a special episode um, where a trans woman ca- woman character on the show who's freaking amazing just gave a similar reflection in this special episode about her own understanding of her trans identity. Um, that was like pretty powerful. So it's also on the mind on my mind for that reason. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just hard to read because... It's like, I'm pretty sure there were no black people in these towns. And if there no, were black kids in their high not. school, if there were black kids in their high school, like the boys were on the football team and mm-hmm. they were like the one player. I mean, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, there were, I would venture to say there was no one in these books that weren't white. <laughs> like there were no like non-white characters. No, even still, they probably were, right? Because like, in, real, in reality, they're there, but they're just invisible. Right. Yes. yes. It's like so yes. obvious that they're like not in a vacuum, but that they just right. treat these people like they don't exist because they don't in their mind. Like, right. right. They're, they're not. Yeah. They're, they're not being accounted for like in these stories at all. It's um, gross. There's also like, I, I, yeah, just uh, and sort of goes along with what you were saying about like literally how pe- like women are characterized by their hair color. <laughs> oh, and their eye color. And their eye color. And their eye color. Um, Like. An inordinate amount of attention is paid to the way that women look and like, it, and it's, it's like, it's offensive, but it's also laughable because it's always at like inappropriate moments where like the protagonist is noticing like what her friend looks like. It's like they're in the middle of getting arrested or like someone got murdered and she's like, you know, um, my friend's outfit like wasn't. <laughs> wasn't as on point as it usually is or she still managed to look like a movie star you know well, well it's like, always like it's always like on scene like they'll be like yeah. driving somewhere or like yeah you know like i don't even know i guess i guess being at home and like hanging out at home is like maybe like a more natural place to make some of those observations but yeah, it's always like they're about to go horseback riding or like whatever. And then there's like a five and then minute we're break. Pause for like yeah, three paragraphs. Right. So like, so like wax 
forever about the physique. And they're always commenting on their physique. physique. Like so-and-so's mousy frame or like so-and-so. And And it's always really weird shit too. Like so-and-so filled out over the summer. Like what? Like... And and I have this, like, Stephen King is, like, so guilty of this as well, like, especially in his earlier work. It's like, and to some degree, it's just the way that men write women. <laughs> like, the, the way that no, men to all, write, to, to, write women. The entire degree. Like, but that's the only reason why it's like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's literally, God, it's so funny. There are some really good memes, um, I think, on Tumblr where it's, like, they're parodies of, like, male authors writing women. And it's, like, the funniest fucking thing ever because everything is, like, she felt this, she sensed this, like, with her titties, basically. Like, everything is just about, like, like all of the characterization is, like, through the breasts. Um, But, yeah, going back to, like, the characterization based on how people look, like, with women, there's definitely this horribly misogynistic thing of like if you're a good looking woman who is aware that that you're good looking you're like a monster and you're manipulative and you're vain and it's a bad thing and the only way that you're a good woman is if you're good looking but have no idea and are like completely self-deprecating the entire fucking time you know that's an interesting reflection i was thinking of it more just like how crude it is like redheads are like exotic and brunettes brunettes maybe have some depth and then blondes are always portrayed as like unintelligent or ditzy in some way but yeah even even what you're saying is like definitely even a more like nuanced thing i also and i wonder if this is like because these books were in i feel like i wonder if they started coming out in the late 80s but like you know really hit their peak in the early to mid 90s um, just in terms of their popularity, but I feel like a lot of the dialogue, A, does not feel like teenagers, <laughs> and B, a lot of the language used feels like really outdated for the time. Cosine. You know? Cosine. I was just thinking as right? you were saying this, it's like I, when I read these, even at the time, I'm imagining like the 1970s. Right. Or like even further back. Because they would be like, so-and-so's wearing dungarees. Like, what? Like, that's my mom's word for jeans, you know? Same. (laughs) And she was like in her 40s when I was reading these. Same. Probably the same age as Arl Stein. Like, who the fucking writer is. Like, yeah, exactly. Because it's a middle-aged dude, like, writing about teenage girls. Um, Which, again, just makes it so fucking gross that there's so much attention paid to, like, how these teenage girls look. You know, gross. Yeah, I think the the phrase like "you're really the pits," you know that like is <laughs> in wrong number. I'm just like, is this 1950? Like, what the fuck is happening right now? Um, I like to find a choice quote. Um, yeah, I feel like this this just encapsulates very well. So, wrong number. One of the books you read it too, right? Uh, this is the one where they do the prank calls. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, I did read that. I mean, the, the protagonist is Dina, like, she's exactly as I described, like, has no idea, like, if she's attractive, does not feel attractive, therefore, like, is the protagonist who we're supposed to, like, relate to and think of as, like, a good person. And then her best friend, which makes no sense because she treats her horribly, is this girl named Jade, who's, like, very vain and, like, very into herself and very manipulative and, like, lies really well and, like, all this shit. Um, so... <laughs> Here's an excerpt from wrong number. 
It's just that the regular boys at Shadyside, which is their high school, are so predictable, said Jade, following her. That's predictable, spelled B-O-R-I-N-G. She pulled the towel off her shoulders and shook her damp hair out and pirouetted in front of the full-length mirror on Dina's closet door, admiring her figure. She was wearing a pink and white check jumpsuit with short sleeves. Dina had heard that redheads weren't supposed to wear pink, but Jade looked good in every color of the rainbow. Wow. Jesus fucking Christ, like, on a bonnet. I'll tell you the synopsis of the one that I read. Um, did you read Broken Hearts? I did. <laughs> so, Broken Hearts is about um, three sisters, um, two are twins, and one's a few years younger. They're all high school age. Um, the twins are contrasted as, like, one being a different type of pretty than the other, but both... Um, both, but, but both being attractive enough that they've attracted a fair amount of male attention um, during their high school years. One, like, kind of cycles through boyfriends very quickly. Um, the other seems a little bit more, like, grounded. And, you know, um, when she does have romantic and like, engagements, they seem to, like, stick and, you know, maybe have more substance. And then their younger sister, who's, like, you know, 13 or 14, so, like, early puberty, um, early teen years. Um, that kind of gets overshadowed by the dynamic, right? Because they're twins. So you could just imagine how she kind of gets lost in the shuffle a lot. But they always, but they do invite her to tag along on like girl trips and things like that. And so they went with another mutual friend to go host horseback riding. Like the four of them all went out together. And one of the twins fell off her horse and um, just like has like a TBI, like a traumatic brain injury. And yeah. is and is like unable to like communicate and like she has like she has like all of her motor function, um, but she engages with the rest of the world like a toddler pretty much. Like in some ways, she's portrayed as somewhat self self sufficient. Like it doesn't you don't you don't really get the sense that she like needs help getting dressed or things like that. Mm-hmm. But she um, needs twenty four hour care. Um, the twin of the girl who's injured like completely disassociates like she can't handle the trauma of what happened to her sister so she gets like super involved in school activities and hanging out with her boyfriend and like has very little interaction with her sister and she's she's the younger sister winds up taking on like the lion's share of um the older sister's care Mm. at a time in her high school career where she's supposed to like be like doing cheerleader tryouts or drama club tryouts and um oh and the twin the injured twin had a boyfriend too who like is still very much involved and like comes comes over to the home after school every day to like help out um so but it's interesting because like the uninjured twin the one who's kind of like too self-absorbed to like be involved in her sister's long-term care is the protagonist which i felt like was like an interesting choice because i feel like to to your point most of the protagonists, like, we're supposed to identify with in Arlstein. And I, I was just reading this, like, why am I reading this through her eyes? Like, I hate this girl. <laughs> 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 um, but anyway, the twin, the, who's, like, you know, self-absorbed now out, out and about in the world, close to Valentine's Day, starts receiving these letters in the mail that are, like, violets are red. No, roses are red, violets are blue. Like, you're going to die. I'm going to enjoy it, too. Like, I'm making up that one. But, like, 
but like, oh, I should just actually find some of them. I don't know why I'm like making them up. It's better if you make them up. Is it? I'm going to find one. And um, while I'm doing that, I'll keep going. So, you know, over the course of hers, like this is the one who, this is the one who was like dating a lot. Um, so she's portrayed as like having mm-hmm. a little bit less substance because she's been like hopping from boyfriend to boyfriend. So she's like racked up her like fair share of like boys who don't like her anymore. Um, mm. And so, you know, there's like this who's who of like who could have potentially who could potentially like want to kill her. Mm. Here we go. Violets are blue. Roses are red. On Valentine's Day, Josie will be dead. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's one. Uh-huh. And so we're supposed to wonder who it is. Is it the twins, like the other twin, like the injured twins' boyfriend who like resents Josie for like not taking good enough care of her sister? Is it one of her many exes who's just like a tool? Is it her sister? The other one? Like, well, is it the injured sister who like maybe is like pretending to be feeble minded now? As like revenge, is it the younger sister who's like resentful that she has to take on all this extra responsibility? Dun dun dun! I won't leave the I won't I won't give it away in case anything I've said is oh. like piqued your interest as a as a listener and you actually want to sabotage yourself and read it. But yeah, it piques my interest. I think I'll I'll give that one a read. It sounds slightly more complicated than what i read sure i wonder what that means though because i read wrong number in full and i got to the end and this one i had to skip to the end because i was like i can't anymore (laughs) (laughs) well maybe it was because you hated the protagonist so much yeah that might be part of it um also wrong number was like just a really quick like you know easy read i feel like was, was it our last, the last time we spoke? You were, yeah, you were, you were like, I'd, I'd like to give some attention to the ways in which I have internalized misogyny. Um, I mean, I feel like these books were certainly, I mean, the, the thing is, like, literally, like, most things that we were listening to, watching, et cetera, growing up, like, were misogynistic or sexist in some way, you know? Um, That's true. I don't know why it bothers me sometimes more than others. I should really explore that. <laughs> um but for me i think like these books were probably pretty pretty formative in that in that sense for me because i definitely took from these books a lot of emphasis on what women look like and what that means big ass titties worth and like yeah big ass titties filled out hips pouty lips you know yeah. You know, shit. as a matter of fact, it's so anachronistic because, right, you get the sense that, like, a woman has to have somewhat of a womanly form to be considered attractive at this time. Meanwhile, we were reading these books in the early 90s, a.k.a. the Kate Moss era, a.k.a. the, like, wayfish, do not right. eat, please show your bones on every part of your body era. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We should Maybe we should be giving you this props for that, you know, trying to, like, challenge what was at the time unconventional <laughs> or at the time was conventional body norms that were just like unhealthy right, you don't get you, 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 don't, you don't get the you don't get the sense that these girls are like unhealthy no to, i mean they, yeah. they are corn fed you know yeah yeah as a matter of fact they are corn fed yes they're deaf deaf's corn fed yeah um yeah 
So I will give minimal props to Mr. Stein for that. I sure, sure will. Maybe he focuses on that in his master class, how he was like instrumental in like ushering in 21st century <laughs> notions of how he beauty was, how that he are actually healthier. started the body positivity movement. Yes. <laughs> how he's actually responsible for exactly. it. Exactly. Funny story, listeners. We actually attempted to record this episode. We did like a CRISPR Pike R.L. Stein episode months ago and the recording didn't go and there wasn't enough to salvage it so this is like our reattempt which is actually it's better because we were actually able to read some stuff but oh yeah did we just like not even read we didn't even read them before we were just we didn't read jack shit we were just what the hell was that about how much we love them in that original thing we were talking about how i don't know chris did you tell me christopher pike did this but at a certain point rl stein ventured away from the YA horror and he wrote an adult horror book called Superstitious. Yes, you read it. I definitely like snuck into B. Dalton to read some excerpts because I knew there was going to be some sex in there. I was like, oh, it's an adult novel. He's definitely going to write some sex scenes in there. He peppered the fuck out of that book with sex scenes. It was very raunchy and I loved it. And I probably, um, you know, had a good time with it, if you know what I'm saying. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, a budding young woman, and I was curious. And um, the, uh, you're I remember, so, so pure was like female- in your, what? You're so pure in your, um, <laughs> in your desire. I'm so afraid of what you're going to say. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what, what does that mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> like you you don't have to edit this out whatever but like you can I'm like gonna, you can like I'm you can gonna. like you can like get off from a book like you know <laughs> <laughs> go on like, and you can get off from like a sexually suggestive book like, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to be explicit for you to be like, That's oh, true. cool. My imagination can now do a lot of the work. Whereas, like, I, uh, um, I don't, I, something happened to me. I just managed exploring therapy where, like, it's probably been, I'm sure there's been moments in the last 12 years where this is, where what I'm describing is the exception, is the, where what I'm about to say is not the rule anymore and I, like, can do the exception. But, like, I'm lazy, I guess, in my desire. And I allow, um, like, I need really explicit uh, text or porn to, like, do the thinking for me around arousal. Whereas, like, and I used, I mean, there was, like, a window when I used to, when I was in love with where, like, I, for the first time, like, pl- like pleasure was more drawn from my imagination Mm. But since, but for the most part, unless I'm like with someone who makes my desire really concrete, <laughs> I don't allow my imagination to like do a lot of the work ever. Mm. And I feel like it's like, so when I say like your desire is pure, I mean like you've been able to hold on to your imagination in a way that like I, that like died in me or something. Like it's dead. Like I, like I, and I, and I think it's, I think there's something deep under there for like the lie that's probably like sad and broken. But like, we don't need to explore all that today. 
You know? No, um, <laughs> it's just I want my imagination to work. Like I want, like even when I have romantic desire, like even when I'm, like for example, when I'm like, oh, Omar, Omar Epps is so hot. Like, sure, but like my brain from that point cannot do any work to conjure a prolonged video image of what that would mean to me sexually if I were to explore him. <laughs> like my brain, it just stops. I understand. And I would, I have to say like, I've, I've clung to that as much as I can, but even so mine has deteriorated considerably as well. Okay. Um, for what it's worth. It has. Um, and, and, I, and it, it sucks. Like, I miss I miss being, like, 10, 11, 12 and having a crush and being able to play out these, like, yes. elaborate yes. fantasies. Yes. To this elaborate. day. To this day, one of the hottest dreams I ever had that wasn't even sexual was, like, I think I've told you this story a bazillion times. But, like, I go to the prom with We get, like, trapped in an elevator, like, general hospital style. <laughs> And we just talk all night and it has this, it has this like strange intimacy because it's like something that like if anyone in school had seen, they'd be like shocked by, but like it was just happening with just mm-hmm. the two of us. And we probably were both going to walk out of this elevator and never speak of it again. But we had this moment of like, anyway, it was like one of the best dreams I've ever had in my life. And I don't seem like that anymore. <laughs> what is that? What is that? It, it used to also come so easily. Like, I used to daydream. Like, I would have a crush, and that meant yeah. lots of daydreaming of just, like, huh. Yeah, you would look forward to times where you had, like, downtime or a lull, and your brain could just, like, go. Yeah. Like, the time right before going to sleep. Oh, my God. I used to love going to sleep. Be like, yes. <laughs> I'd, be like, I'd be like, oh, I have to go to bed now? That's fine. I'm going to be excited, you know? Like, like, I would look forward to it. I remember I would look forward to it all day. I'd be like, I cannot wait. <laughs> For like the half hour, know, my brain's same. just gonna like get to imagine these wonderful scenarios. Yeah, Carl yeah, Stein, you um, did this to I, me. I, As a matter of fact, reading your books is ex- when when this stopped. <laughs> I read your books. I read Christopher Pike's books, and then I was unable to dream. I will say, like to be frank, I think the thing that has allowed me to cling to a little bit of that part of me has been writing fan fiction and reading fan fiction because fan fiction, like definitely, even when it's like, it's most explicit, I still think that even the most explicit stories still have an inkling of that, like adolescent, like sexual tension, like crushes, yearning, like all that shit. Like that's, that's really what the draw of fan fiction for me. And it's funny because, like, I uh, I was very involved in a fandom, like, very active, like, reading, writing until last year. Like, most of last year, I, like, dipped out of the fandom. Um, just got really busy. Like, life got busy, and I just fell out of it and lost a little bit of interest for various reasons. And so I've been, like, without a fandom for the better part of a year, and it's been really sad. <laughs> um I've been really like craving it again, so I actually started reading some of my old favorite fix last night. Oh my god! Like, oh my god! This is what I've been missing. This is so great. Yeah, I've never gotten super into it, but every time you've like, well, it's been like probably a decade since you've like really brought me in. But like, anytime you've like shared, ever since, like, I mean, reading it gave me an inkling of like, oh, like I my brain no longer works this way, where I can like me and me and me and honest, quite honestly. To your point, like, I actually think if any type of, if anything was going to bring it back, it would be writing. 
Yeah. Like if I were to actually like try to put pen to paper around my imagination, it probably would be stickier and then maybe become a muscle that's being reengaged. So it becomes easier. Exactly to your point. Um, but reading all of that and what the times I've been able to read it has made me just be in awe. Right. Yeah. Exactly, of People that are able to like imagine in that way. What else should we tell the listeners about our love or hate for um, all things Y-A-R-S-T-E-N? Yeah. I mean, I appreciate, like, from a plot standpoint and just from a... I think for me as a writer, it was really important to find someone like R.L. Stein who was very formulaic, who was very prolific and was just churning shit out all the time. You know, it was just... I, I think, think it was, was good encouragement to just, like, write, 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 you know? Got me into the habit of writing a lot, a lot of shit. <laughs> a lot of really terrible horror stories that made no fucking sense. Yeah, so I think it had its value there. I think it was great that, you know, I could pick up these easy breezy to read books and just, like, go through them. Because I remember, like, even the experience of reading this, I was just like, oh, I'm, like, blowing through this book. And then I would remember, like, yeah, I could, I would read, like, two of these or three of these in a weekend, and it was just great. I just remember being in my room, and that was, like, our entertainment back in those days, you know? So I still have a, a soft spot in my heart for these books. Soft spot? It kept a soft spot in your heart. That's incredible. A little bit, but it's less, I mean, it's less the stories themselves, because I don't even remember most of them. I don't. But, but it's, it's just, just the ritual, ritual, I think, of having all these, like, beautiful paperbacks, paperbacks like, in my, my little bookcase in my room and collecting them. And, I remember um, they had a series that was, like, reading. Silent Night or, like, a Christmas horror one. Yeah. With, like, cheer- yeah, cheerleaders, maybe. There was a cheerleader series. Yeah. Maybe those are different. But, yeah, those two stand out. There were always, like, beach ones where it was, like, lifeguards and, you know. Oh, my God. I loved the beach ones. I totally forgot about the beach ones. So, like, the way I feel about the beach ones is, like, the way I feel about Saved by the Bell, like, the episodes. Where, I knew you were going to say it. I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say the same thing. About the summer where, episodes um, at the beach at the, club. At the beach club. Yes, I have the same yes. feelings where I'm like, Cece oh my Carosi. god, this should be the whole thing. Like, fuck all the rest of this shit. The whole thing should be here. Agreed. <laughs> Everything should be Stacey Carosi and Zach. Yes. And oh my god, love. they're in love on the. Be- oh my god, when he leaves, when she leaves him on the beach, and ugh, ugh, and, and he like throws rocks at the water, and then and like, one friend shows up and he's like, "Need a friend? How about five friends?" Like, oh my god, oh my god. We're gonna, I feel like Saved by the Bell is gonna be like a 10 part series. Oh my god, we should bump that up. We should bump it up. Yeah, we, we should, should bump it up. And we should bring obviously your brother on for that one. But, but bump it up. Oh my god. <laughs> He'll be so you, mad do, if we but don't. Do you, know, do you know that my brother is going to like absolutely like dominate? That's fine. I was just about to say the same thing. He's... I'm like, we should just turn over the hour. We should be like, look, bro, why don't you turn just, it over to Brian? Why don't you just take over this conversation? We but we also need to bring Brian in for 90210 because he's low, he's under, he's like on the down low, huge 90210 fan. Um, we could have whole conversations, <laughs> me and Big B. We'll, we'll do a, he mul- can, like, we'll do a multi-part, we'll do a multi-part, Two one zero series. <laughs> I was actually thinking, like, as we close out, 
I thought it would be really cute. We can, we don't have to do this now, but like going forward, we don't have any sponsors, but I thought it would be cute to like shout out any brands or like products that we like to just like give them an extra like boosty boost or whatever. I love that. Have to do, that do you have one in mind? I mean, my, my number one pick always is going to be Memti. Uh, memtimports.com. It's my go-to tea place for loose leaf tea. They are based in Surrey, Massachusetts, where I used to live. And if you're a tea nerd like me, like, goddamn, like, just go there. And they have a tasting room, and I used to take classes there. They would do, like, chai tea latte classes and, like, make your own herbal blend and, like, all the shit. It was amazing. And then, obviously, with the pandemic, they had to shut down the tasting room and all of their classes. But they just shifted to online classes, and obviously everything's already sold out. But... If, um, you know, if you want to take a tea class, if you want to get some tea, like, highly recommend them. They are the nicest people. And I love them. Amazing tea. I love it. Yeah. What about you, Mia? Um, I have two. Oh, my God. First, I already told you, the blazer sale at Talbot's right now is insane. It was lit. <laughs> and I am a Midwestern basic bitch because... I went to town on the iconic wool blazer. I mean, I'm dressing like I'm in my 40s or mid 50s, and it's fine. Like you, we're we're gonna be 38 this year. We're there. So we're almost there. Yeah, I mean, right? But I've been I've been wearing Talbots since like my early 30s. <laughs> oh, okay. Anywho, on the more like financial literacy front, I highly recommend Acorns. Like if you're looking to start an investment account, but don't want to like really work with like a brokerage where you would have to like choose stocks individually or if you're like nervous about even just engaging a financial advisor that would make stock recommendations on your behalf it's like super easy it's on your phone you can just like select your investor profile in terms of how much risk you'd like to take on and my account has had like i don't know like a 17 percent return for the first year so highly recommend it mm-hmm. and it's like investing investing on your i'm phone. actually gonna do that yeah I, I also set it up where it was like just moving a fixed amount every week like you know like a, like a reasonable number just to move it at consistent intervals. So it was like auto pay and rate returns and boom. Um, and maybe we'll do that from time to time. Um, what are we talking about next time? I know we were planning to potentially do another one of these, but I don't think we have enough to say about it. I, I would trash respectfully books. decline the opportunity to talk more about <laughs> Respectfully <laughs> decline. <laughs> so... Parting words for our listeners. So it looks like next week. Oh, I have one. I have rearranged some things. What What do you have? have? My parting words. I thought of them, but I'll wait. Yeah, I'm wait till. Oh my god, parting words. Well, I was just gonna say that we've pivoted. We we've just done some rearranging of our upcoming schedule, and we've got some very exciting things coming up. But I think we we have moved up pose for next weekend. Okay, my parting words. My party words. words are stay queer, <laughs> never fear. You see what I did there? <laughs> Is this like your version of the Broken Hearts poems? Like the threats in the locker? Also, never fear. R.L. Stein is here. Never fear. Brooklyn is here. There's so many references. Oh my God. Yeah. We're here, we're queer. Never fear. <laughs> Brooklyn is here. <laughs>
Oh my god, that's our new theme song. That's our new theme song. I feel like we need to commission a rapper to do our theme song and to do that theme song. <laughs> Could you imagine like some poor rapper just being like, uh, <laughs> Stay queer, never fear. Stay queer, never fear. Brooklyn is here. Caitlin and me are blowing up in the atmosphere. Yo, 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 I'm the next. Yeah, for some reason I'm picturing Common. Like, I don't know why. I'm picturing Common, Oh my god, Common could bring it.